Hi, my name is Terence, and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Except today, I'm not reviewing any books because this is a special behind-the-scenes episode. These are the last days of December, and I've decided to start a tradition. You are listening to the first ever Reading and Readers Year and Reflection episode. As I look back to April this year, which was when I started this podcast, I remember the trepidation of releasing my first six episodes. In episode six, I shared the genesis of Reading and Readers and the meaning behind the cover art. Leaves, um, rivers and deserts. What has all that got to do with reading? The answer can be found in Isaiah 35 verse 1 to 2. I quote, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Isaiah 35 verse 1 to 2. Now, these uh, verses express the refreshing, the transformational, the soul-invigorating experience uh, of me reading a good book. Okay, that would be sometimes how I would describe the, the wonderful uh, uh, experience I get from reading a good book. I've told many people around me, reading a good book is better than reading or watching a good movie. So... Uh, back when I was think, trying to think of a name for this podcast, these verses just made such an impression. Because when life becomes dry, a good book is an oasis. And uh, there are few, many times in my life where I felt very, uh, it was a very difficult situation. And I felt that uh, a good book actually did pick me up and, uh, and gave me the encouragement. Especially when you read uh, books where they have uh, gone through so many great trials. And in the end, they continue to praise God throughout the entire journey. So many biographies actually have helped me a lot. And uh, I also want to suggest to you that uh, God wants everyone to be a reader, even if it's a reader of one book, the good book, the Bible. I also humbly suggest that if we read more books, we become better readers of that one book, the Bible. The podcast is titled Reading and Readers. In every episode, my attention is on you, the reader. Uh, Young, old, beginner or avid reader, sinner, saint. Uh, As I do all these reviews, uh, some questions that would always uh, come to my mind is, what would convince you to start this book and take you away from that Netflix (laughs) show or whatever it is that you are uh, doing that is okay, but maybe a good book would be a more edifying uh, activity for you. and as you read, I was also thinking what would stumble you from completing it. Because, you know, like in the Bible, uh, when you read uh, Genesis and you read Exodus, the most tricky part of Exodus is when they do the construction of the tabernacle. And I found it very helpful in my own Bible reading journey when I realized that the description of the construction 
of the tabernacle, as difficult reading as it may be, is actually a beautiful part of the Bible because it talks about how God wants to dwell with the Israelites. So when you have that in perspective, actually, um, in my experience, it helps me read that portion when I know that God wants to dwell with the Israelites. And if you look further ahead, the tabernacle is Jesus later on tabernacling uh, among us, uh, God indwelling with, with us and later on in the form of the Holy Spirit. So anyways, um, so I, I share things in my review as uh, reading tips so that you can move forward and gain something from uh, uh, admittedly some of the more difficult parts of the book uh, of what I'm reviewing. And sometimes I will also suggest books uh, that are similar or better or just uh, interesting as we handle that particular uh, review. So that's what I have in mind. But today I will not be speaking as a reviewer. I will share a lot of my thoughts as a reader and how some of the books that I've read this year have impacted me. So first of all, um, let me talk about cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, Growing in Christ's Likeness by Chris Wright. Um, this book proved to be a foundational stepping stone in my Christian walk. Now, it's not a book flashing with marvelous insights. I can give you other examples of books where it was wow, 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 and so on. Um, nor is this a book where you are captivated by the author's wit or character or colorful stories. Um, it's not that type of book. He is a good writer and the content is good, but it doesn't stand out in, in those ways. Um, and in, in, in saying that, I wonder whether anybody who actually read this book uh, would actually gain what I gained because uh, what I got was, uh, uh, can, be, can be seen in the first chapter. Okay? That would be the anchor of uh, my reflection here. In the first chapter, Wright describes how John Stott prays for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he prays this uh, through the fruit of the Spirit every day. And, the, and knowing who John Stott was and, and, and uh, how he, he prayed every morning uh, just stuck with me even until today. I don't know about you, but before this, again, I never bothered to memorize the fruit of the Spirit. I, I can remember uh, the first three, but then if forced to recite the rest, I would just mumble my way through. Uh, with a little bit of effort inspired by Chris Wright's book, I am now the proud owner of a mind that can remember nine words in sequence. Yay for small victories. But did I succeed in my resolution to pray them every morning uh, like I wanted to? Uh, yes, I was consistent for a few weeks. Then there were momentary lapses as I forget things. I wake up in the morning and then I just skip that morning prayer. And three months later today, the answer is a very sad no. I don't pray them in the morning nor do I have the intention of making it a sticking habit. However, I chant them. <laughs> now, the word chant evokes you know, chanting a spell or casting a magical spell, or maybe like a Buddhist or a chant where the, the person just mindlessly repeats a phrase over and over and over again. 
So when you hear chant, maybe you think that a better word, a Christian word, would be meditate. Um, but actually, chanting would be a more accurate word. It, it, it works this way, all right? So, so as I go through my day, something upsets me. Okay? This is an example scenario. Something upsets me. Maybe the wife, kids, work, church, the news, or whatever it may be. And uh, if I am alert enough or sufficiently self-aware, uh, I would then respond to the upset by going through the fruit of the Spirit in my head. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And sometimes I'll just repeat it over and over again. I say I'm chanting and not meditating because for me, when I meditate, I think about what is, let's say, God's love. How do I love others? How am I loved by others? And then just uh, maybe even pray, uh, God, you are so good for you love me so much and so on. So I don't do that. So I am just, uh, quote unquote, mindlessly uh, repeating the verse in my head. And the purpose or the, the effect is that it short circuits the bad thoughts that threaten to come out of this mind of mine and that threatens to come out as unkind words or, uh, or regrettable actions. So I just shortcut it by just reciting the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't just recite them when angry. That was just one scenario. As, um, when I'm washing the dishes or taking out the trash or just, you know, just idling away, Sometimes, if I'm not reciting this thing, I, I sing a song. And my favorite currently is uh, His Mercy Is More by Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. So my family can sometimes hear me in the kitchen just uh, singing this song, uh, belting it out loud. Um, but oftentimes, I would also just uh, recite the fruit of the Spirit. Because I noticed that if I don't, uh, my mind would, would think about other things and when my mind is idle, my mind would tend to stray towards money or work or perhaps some contentious issue somewhere in my life. Now, there is a time and place to think such things. And maybe I should arguably think about such things more in order to solve problems. But I think um, more than a solution, I actually need the work of the Holy Spirit. So... That is why I try to recite that as uh, to be very uh, intentional and mindful of it. I may actually expand on it, uh, but at the moment, I find it uh, easy just to recite them in my head. Because it's in my head so often, it's also something that I tend to talk more about with my children too, especially about self-control. And uh, I, I don't say I do this regularly enough. I don't want to give the wrong impression. But then once in a while, uh, I do ask my children to recite and then uh, we would recite it together. So, and once in a while, again, not as regular as, uh, as I hope, but uh, as a family, we also uh, do uh, pray through the fruit of the Spirit. So what I just shared is an example of how a book can nurture the mind and the soul. That, that picture of a desert, a dry land, and then suddenly you have these uh, blossoms and growth and life occurring because where there was none before. And um, now, 
another way of thinking about this, uh, when you talk about reading, is some people may ask, uh, you only took one portion of the book, which is basically the first chapter, the first part, the first, cha first chapter, first paragraph. There is the whole book. And uh, can, you, can you summarize the whole book by Chris Wright? And my answer to you is no, I can't, I can't remember most of what I read, nor do I even try to. I personally don't think the point of reading is to remember the whole book. And let me just uh, reflect on this and just share my thoughts on this. Um, the John Stott story, uh, as uh, some would rightly point out, is told in the very beginning of the book. And if you want to be a, an efficiency expert, you could argue that wouldn't it be easier to just read that story only rather than the whole Bible and thus gain the same effect. The thing is that, um, if, that if that story, for example, was a tweet or just some, some Instagram, whatever it is, I don't think I would get the same effect if I did not read the whole book, even though you rightfully point out that what I remember and what I practice just came out from that short uh, tweet-worthy uh, section. The way I think about reading is that, and I think it's true for all of us, is that when, 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 when you read a book, your brain is not just simply downloading data. So you don't like pick from a bunch of files and then you just click on it and you just download it and it just fits in a nice directory somewhere in your head. I don't think any of our brains work that way. The way I see it is that when you read data, there is a network effect. Okay? The network effect is what happens when you have more people using the product or service. Okay? This is from a business world. If you are the only person, for example, with a phone, the phone is useless. Okay? If you're the only person in the world with a phone, there's no one else to call. The phone is basically completely useless. A phone becomes more useful when other people have phones. So when you read a page from a book, you are consciously or un subconsciously uh, connecting that data that's coming into your head to other data that is stored in your head. So for example, when you read a story like John Stott praying the fruit of the Spirit and that's all you read, you could possibly, maybe, perhaps get the same soul-enriching experience I had. But I don't think it would have worked for me. Because that story was hammered deeper into my soul because Chris Wright went through chapter by chapter uh, describing what the fruit of the Spirit was. For example, how God demonstrated love and how we are to reflect God's love. So my mind is not just, I mean, having the John Stott example, but my mind was fixated on the fruit of the Spirit for an extended time, chapter after chapter, under the tutelage of an expert. So, I, I've gained more from the John Stott story simply because I've been thinking about it a lot more. Instead of considering the return of investment, okay, ROI, based on how many percent of the book I remember or apply, um, I think it's more helpful for us readers to consider who we are before the book compared to who we are after the book. So we don't try to think about, uh, is there a more efficient way of getting the same effect or whether uh, how much of the book we can remember because I genuinely think that if you can just do one takeaway and if one book can change one part of your life, I think it is a wonderful thing. All right. So, but maybe my ambitions are a lot lower than others. 
my second reflection is that um, another thing I learned this year was, uh, was that by disagreeing, okay, disagreeing with a book and publicly stating that disagreement, because I, uh, it's not a private thought, it's a public uh, podcast. The idea that I disagree with occupies a bigger space in my mind than it should. To give just one example of many, uh, let's look at All Things New by Pete Hughes. Now, in that book, Hughes says that God doesn't have statues in his temple because we are his living statues. In my review, I question the wisdom of describing ourselves as living statues because statues carry undertones of idolatry and we naturally tend to make much of ourselves already than we should of God. Okay, We should make much more of God than ourselves. So... Um, so that's why I said, and six months later, I still think I am right in my criticism. But interestingly, because of that book, because of what I've read, I am more aware of the Imago Dei, that we are created in the image of God. So I'm very attentive. Okay, When I listen to sermons, uh, read the Bible, or read other books, I'm very attentive to see whether did I get this idea right or not. Is my criticism valid or not? So is, um, is All Things New, the book by Pete Hughes, a book that I would heartily recommend to other people? You must read this, you must read this. No, it, it's not. Um, I would much easily recommend people read Providence by John Piper over that book. On the other hand, interestingly enough, like I say, I have not given the doctrine of providence as much attention um, as the doctrine of image-bearing. I agree so much with John Piper that it just, yeah, um, you're preaching to the choir. Whereas with uh, Pete Hughes, I'm still, in a sense, in a conflict with whether what he says and what I believe, how does that work? Um, and ironically or uh, unintentionally, I think that uh, this image-bearing uh, doctrine and my thoughts about this uh, perhaps prove my point, we tend to think of ourselves more than of God. <laughs> and uh, if all things new made me think more about the subject, there is a set of books that has helped me not think about a subject, which I am grateful for. Uh, one of the most popular episodes here is my review of fault lines versus cynical theories versus uh, ministers of reconciliation. When I was reading that book and uh, doing the review, uh, critical race theory seemed to be spreading, exploding, and threatening the church. I noticed that I myself was growing anxious about all these things I was reading. And instead of taking a pill for my anxiety, I decided to read some books. Uh, this might not be the best treatment for everyone. You might end up more anxious after reading Balcom's Fault Lines. <laughs> And I am sure there are other books because there are many, many critical thoughts, uh, critical reviews about uh, uh, Balcoms and all the rest. Huh? All this critical race theory space, there's a lot of noise, a lot of heat. Uh, so there are other books, maybe better books, more even-handed, better researched, better written. But at the end of it, after reading Fault Lines, Cynical Theories and Ministers of Reconciliation, I am comfortable with my starting point uh, to interpret all the news, articles, tweets, and books that come my way. I do not confess to be an expert on critical race theory, nor do I want to, uh, but I, know, I now know enough to have conversations, 
to ask better questions, to be familiar with the names and concepts and ideas in that space, and ultimately, and most importantly, to not feel so anxious. Because a monster is less scary in the daylight than in the dark. So having seen what critical race theory is, or as described by, uh, by uh, Balcom, who is rigorously warning about it, um, I understand the danger, but the danger is not is is how do I say it's more realistic to me. I understand that I need not freak out about it, but just to maintain my composure as I handle this monster. <laughs> so so far I've shared three things. I have shared how a book inspired a chanting habit through the fruit of the spirit, how another book got me attentive to the image of God teachings, the Imago Dei, okay, always thinking about image bearing, and also how a set of books brought clarity on uh, critical race theory and the church. So those are three sharings. My last reflection uh, for today is on a category of books, let's call them tough books, that I didn't think listeners would have cared much for. It's uh, easy to understand why people would listen to my reviews on Paul David Tripp or Eric Metaxas' books. Uh, their books are written for a mainstream audience, so there is a big, big pool of people who would pick up those type of books. Okay? So it's a, it's a pleasant surprise to me when there are as many, if not more, listeners for my reviews on the tough books by Walter C. Kaiser Jr. or D.A. Carson or Gordon Wenham or others. Okay, so it was a surprise to me. If you go to Amazon or Goodreads and just look for reviews on, on for example, The Young Christian by Jacob Abbott, it is just empty. It is a desert. So the fact that there are many listeners to my Jacob Abbott review, for example, suggests that some are willing to be stretched in their reading. Now, you may, I understand, you may not have read these uh, tough books, but your willingness to listen to the reviews uh, is a step in the right direction. Uh, let me explain. I once read a reading tip, okay? The advice is actually for uh, children as they uh, progress upwards in their reading levels. And the advice given to children here, I think, applies to us as adults. You should read many books at your comfortable uh, reading level, uh, read some books below your reading level, and to read a few books above your reading level. So if you're at grade 3, you read many books at grade 3, then you read some books at grade 1 or 2, and you read, and you read a few books at the grade 4 or 5. Okay? So that, that's the idea. And uh, for example, for us, that would, how would it look like? It would be like uh, me reading uh, uh, the children's books. Okay? So that's below my reading level. If you are very obnoxious and thinking that's beneath you, I, I argue that it is not. If you, look, if you listen to my review, that, you, that all of us should read um, children's books. Uh, like the Green Ember series by S.D. Smith and the Wing Feather Saga by Andrew Peterson. And I am reminded that uh, through these books that great stories and big truths come packaged in different sizes. So that is why we should read uh, books below our reading level. The challenge for many of us is to read above our reading level. 
I admire uh, people who can read tough books like the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin, Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards, or Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Um, people who read these books on a, con on a regular basis, I think I, I really respect. It's like looking at people climbing many mountains and then I'm just climbing a hill here and there. So, in fact, when I think about uh, John Piper's advice uh, for Christians to read less books more deeply, I believe he was referring to such classics. And I, I agree. I think more of us should read uh, these books uh, more deeply. Aside from these classics, though, there is another source of tough books, which is exemplified in the Logos Free Book of the Month program. When I started this podcast, I did not expect to review many Logos books. I thought many of the books as beyond me. They are better suited as references, and I simply don't have the time or, honestly, the ability to do a review. If you listen to uh, the podcast uh, earlier episodes, you can hear how intimidated I am, uh, worse, by the prospect of that. And now, um, in this year-end reflection, I find myself surprised at the tough books that I've managed to not only read, but also review. In case you don't know, because I didn't uh, know initially, uh, reviewing is a lot harder than I thought. Uh, in the time it takes to do one review, I could read another book or two. So, <laughs> and, um, so when I find the books that I managed to review, I was very pleasantly surprised. So let me tell you which was the toughest book to read, Okay, coming back as a reader now. Uh, Recovering the Unity of the Bible by Kaiser and uh, that commentary on Hebrews by John Owen were both hard to read, but the toughest is actually uh, Scripture and Truth, a collection of 12 essays edited by D.A. Carson and John Woodbridge. It's a good thing it's a collection of essays because with a platter of goodies, you can munch on what you like and ignore the ones that cause indigestion. There are a couple of essays in that collection, uh, the indigestion types, that if turned into a full book would be too philosophical and complex for me, at least for my reading level now. So fortunately, uh, the whole book is not consisted of, of those types of uh, writings and content. Um, overall, I'm satisfied with my reading journey for the year, and uh, I hope that it's true for you as well. If you find that you wish you could have read a, a few more books, or you have read deeper the books that you have uh, read, then, uh, well, it is the time of the year where you think about reflecting what has passed and looking forward to what is to come. So I encourage you again, uh, maybe this uh, podcast can just give you that a little bit extra push to uh, enjoy your reading journey. I am also satisfied with how reading and readers have progressed. And uh, I want to invite you to share your own reading journey uh, with me um, and perhaps tell me how you how did you find the podcast? How is it, uh, was it helpful? Uh, did it... Uh, things that I would like to hear, actually, are things that you tell me that, oh, that book that you recommended, I, I really thought it was very helpful and I went out and got it and thank you very much for the recommendation. I would love to hear that. Or if it's the other type where you say, that book you recommended to me, it was complete and utter rubbish. <laughs> and I have no idea why you actually said it was uh, that good 
or why you said it was that bad. The review just uh, was rubbish. Uh, if, if, if it was of that form, uh, please let me know as well. Uh, we can just agree to disagree and be very cordial and polite as we, as we do so. Now, if you do want to send me your feedback, which I, again, really hope to, to, to read, uh, you can do it via email or Twitter or the website's contact form. You can find all the contact details in my website at www.readingandreaders.com. That's www.readingandreaders.com. Before I, will, I end the final episode for 2021, I just want to thank everyone who listens to the podcast. Now, for you, it's a click of a play button and uh, maybe 20, 30 minutes of uh, listening on your commute. For me, it's an affirmation that what I have prepared over a period of how many hours through how many days and that what I prepared uh, and offer has value to someone. So... Uh, also, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Esther from Boston for helping to offset the cost of running this podcast. She was an early supporter, and her early feedback remains an encouragement to this very day to continue this podcast. So with that, let me end. Let me end with a quote. I have not quoted anything yet today. So let me end with a quote from Henry Alford, okay, who made this prayer this prayer 200 years ago for New Year's Eve. I quote, O eternal God, in these last hours of another year, we come before you with our praises and we would humble ourselves in your sight. We thank you for our preservation during the year that is gone and for all your mercies in providence and grace, for all your dealings with us that we knew to be blessings, for all in which you have blessed us, though we did not know it. We praise you for your chastisements, for our bereavements, for our sicknesses, for our disappointments and trials. We would also humble ourselves before you, O Lord. We are frail and sinful. We are dust and ashes. We cannot so much as lift up our faces to you, who are the Holy One, of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, who inhabits eternity and does not change. But blessed be your name for that refuge that you have provided from your wrath, for that fountain that you have opened for sin and uncleanness. We flee to our Redeemer to hide us. We rest upon your everlasting covenant with us in Him, and we are safe. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we now lie down at the end of the year, committing ourselves to your protection. So may we lie down in peace at the end of life, knowing whom we have believed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is a Reading and Readers year-end reflection. May the good Lord bless you for the new year ahead. Remember to send any comments or feedback and uh, you can consider that a kindness to end the year or to start the new year. Contact details at www.readingandreaders.com That's www.readingandreaders.com Thanks for listening.